If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Nathan Turkwe, and I'm one of the pastors here at South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church, and we're very thankful to have you with us this morning as we worship together, as we celebrate the resurrection together. Um, this morning for our sermon, we're going to be looking together at um, one of my favorite passages, I think, which actually comes a week after the resurrection story, and it's the story of the day Thomas, uh, one of Jesus' disciples, met the resurrected Jesus. So let me read this story. It's printed in your bulletin. This comes from John chapter 20, verses 24 to 31. I'll read this for us and then pray for us. And then I want us to talk about why uh, we want to think through this passage today. So let's listen to God's holy and inerrant word. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's go before him now and ask for his help this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, this is your word, and you have been so, so very kind to us to reveal yourself to us in it. And that's what we pray this morning, that you would send your spirit, that you would open our eyes in order that we might see Jesus, who is lifted up before us, the crucified and risen Savior our hope, and our joy, and our salvation. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what we just read, it was a pretty famous Easter story, um, the day Thomas met the resurrected Jesus. And a lot of us have probably heard this story, or maybe you grew up hearing about Thomas. And a lot of us grew up hearing about this guy we would call Doubting Thomas. But I really don't think it's fair for us to call him that, uh, to call him Doubting Thomas. And I want to make a very brief case for why that is. Um, Because I think if you can see why it's unfair to call Thomas Doubting Thomas, that this story, in fact, might come alive for you in a new way and give you new hope. Um, So the very simple question of why... Um, is a hugely important question. 
thinking about my own life and with my, my children who are young and in school, at the end of a good, long, hard day of, of parenting, sometimes your kids will bring you a question about their homework, something about math, long division, multiplication or something. Uh, they bring you a question about parsing grammar or maybe a scientific question of some sort. And at the end of a long, hard day of parenting, it's very, very tempting to just give them the answer, right? So you move on, get back to your TV show, go to bed, whatever it is. Just say, it's 47. It's an adverb. Uh, it's condensation. Um, but to help them really learn um, the material and understand the material, we ask lots of why questions. Okay, why did you add instead of subtract there? Okay, why do you think that's an adverb? Okay, why does the water condense on the outside of the glass? Why, why, why? Because you want them to think it out. You want them to work the problem because we want them to learn not just the right answer, but how to think. And to do that, they have to understand the why questions. Okay, come back to John 20 now. Okay, John 20 obviously comes after Jesus' resurrection. It's a story of Thomas questioning the reality of the resurrection and then of Jesus appearing to him with the other disciples. And so up front here, I want us to metaphorically work the long division and parse the grammar here. And this is what I mean. We have to come to this passage and ask the why question of it. Why did John write this story. Why did he give us this story about Thomas? If you look at the end of the passage in verse 30 and 31, John basically is giving you the purpose statement for his entire book. And he basically says this, I could have told you a ton more stories about Jesus in this book. But he says, but I included the stories I did so that you would believe in Jesus, the Son of God, and that you would have life in him. See, he's saying, I was very, very selective in the stories that I included. I chose the stories I chose to teach you how to believe in Jesus and find life in him. You know, John's gospel account, it only covers 21, maybe 22 days of Jesus' life. John was very, very selective. He wasn't trying to write an exhaustive biography here. He was extremely selective and intentional in the stories he told. So now hone in on this one day, in this story about Thomas. Why did he put this story about Thomas right at the climax of his book, right before he tells us the purpose of his writing that we would believe? All of my life, I've heard about doubting Thomas, Thomas the doubter. So unfair. Because that can't be why John put this story here. Because John was saying, instead he was saying, he was holding Thomas up to say, look how Thomas believed. I mean, for, for, for John, he's lifting up Thomas and he's saying, this is my greatest example of what it means to believe and to find life in Jesus. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want us to talk about how to believe like Thomas. Because see, whether you're a Christian or not, 
If you're a Christian, you need to go on believing. Or, or maybe you aren't sure if you believe. Or maybe you're skeptical and you feel like you can't believe this. No matter where you are, it's beneficial for all of us to look and see how Thomas came to believe. So here are the three things I want us to see about Thomas. First, you have to show up. Second, you have to get real. And third, you have to submit. That's what Thomas teaches us. You have to show up, you have to get real, and you have to submit. So first, you have to show up. That's exactly what Thomas did. I mean, he wasn't there a week earlier when Jesus had appeared to his disciples. Um, But even with all his questions, even with all his skepticism and his doubts, this story is saying he still showed up a week later. It's so easy for us to fall into the trap of what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery. You know what I mean? We, we, we sit here and we think, of course those guys believed in a resurrection. Of course those guys believed in miracles, that Jesus was God's son and all this kind of stuff. Because they were, they were so primitive. They were unsophisticated. They were superstitious back then. But th- think through this, though. Out of Thomas's, Thomas' closest 11 friends, 11 out of 11 of them came to him and said, Jesus is alive. We saw him. And this is my unauthorized uh, paraphrase of what Thomas said. He said something like, what have y'all been smoking? <laughs> That's crazy talk. You know, only if I could stick my finger in the nail prints and put my hand into his side, only then would I believe anything as ridiculous as this. I mean, Thomas wasn't looking for a resurrection. He didn't have a category for a resurrection. But what about Thomas, his his friends, the other disciples? Do you remember what happened when they first heard about the resurrection? Some women went to anoint Jesus' body, and he wasn't in the tomb. He wasn't there. And so the women came back, and they told these, and they told these men that Jesus had been risen, or Jesus was risen. And this is in Luke 24. It says, the disciples thought it was an idle tale and did not believe them. Foolish. That's crazy talk. Until they saw Jesus himself, they thought it was ridiculous too. No one, absolutely no one, was looking for a resurrection. Thomas and his friends were just like us. And so Thomas basically said, no way I'm going to believe that. And I'm, I'm making a little inference here, but I can't think of another way to account for verse 26, which says, eight days later his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. I can't think of another way to account for that other than Thomas saying, no way I'm going to believe that. And then his friend said, okay, that's fine. Just come with us to church next week. Come and show up. I mean, he was struggling with his doubts. He didn't believe them, but he showed up. And when he showed up, he met the resurrected Jesus face to face. Here's my point, what I think is a big point of this passage. Thomas showed up in community. Right? He wasn't off by himself when he met Jesus. 
This is a huge point of the whole Bible. You and I need community. We were made for community. God made us in such a way that we were meant to process through and work through the claims of Jesus with friends, in relationships, in community. To believe for the first time or or to process through your doubts or to just go on believing, you have to show up in community. Let's be honest with one another this morning. There are some really hard things to believe about Christianity. We believe in a triune God. One God and three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I wish children would stop asking me to explain that. Because I can't. And yet it's right at the very heart of Christianity. I mean, here's another one. Christianity offers simultaneously a more pessimistic and a more optimistic view of humanity than any other worldview. I mean, even your righteousness needs to be repented of, the gospel says. It's filthy rags. And at the same time, it says you were made in the very image of God, and one day, someday, you will be made perfect, and you will rule over all things with Jesus. Another one, we believe that right now, somewhere in some dimension, there is a resurrected Jesus with a physical body. There are difficult things to believe in Christianity, and God made us to process through these things in relationship with one another and in community. Showing up in community, it's not just the entry point for belief, it's also the way we go on believing. The author of Hebrews wrote, let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another And all the more as you see the day approaching. And I just want to encourage you this morning, no matter where you are, to keep showing up. Um, Believing, struggling, unbelieving, no matter where you are. A lot of times I'll tell new members like we had in front of us just a, a moment ago when they joined that one way that they fulfill their vow Um, to support the church and its worship and work is just to show up, right? I need you here. We need you here. I mean, there have certainly been times in my life, and I know I'm not alone in this, where I've lost sight of the death and resurrection of Jesus and how to apply it to my life. Times I believed intellectually, but had a very hard time grasping experientially in the midst of fear and disappointment and hurt and questions and deep anxiety and lack of assurance. And you know what I've needed more than anything else? I've needed others to show up with me, to believe for me when I found it too hard to believe myself. And I know I'm not alone in that. You and I need friends who will hold our hands through life, who will sing the songs with us, who will pray the prayers with us, who will believe with us and weep with us and rejoice with us. Friends who will say to us, you're struggling, you don't believe, that's fine. Just show up with me next week. 
Do you think your fears, your questions, your anger, your skepticism, do you think they're too big for God to handle? He's given you a community to process through it all. And you need to show up. We're going to move on here real quick. But even in saying all of this, I can imagine someone thinking, church is the last place I would want to regularly show up with my brokenness, with my sin, with my fears, with my struggles and questions and confusion. And I get that. Because the church has often failed to be a community that welcomes you to show up and to come as you are, which is really why we have a second point. So we're going to go to the second point. If you're going to believe, you don't just have to show up. You also have to get real. Um, Listen, by that I mean you have to show up and be open and honest about your junk, about your mess, about your sin, about your disbelief, about your brokenness, with no defensiveness and with no spin and no shifting of the blame. And that's terrifying to do that. But try to put yourself in Thomas' shoes just just for a moment. Imagine you had privately been hanging out with your friends and you had said to them what Thomas said in verse 25, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Now imagine you said that and then Jesus showed up and the first thing he said to you directly was, Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. I'm willing to bet you would feel very uncomfortable. Right? Because you would be thinking, how did he know? How did he know what I told my friends in private last week? I mean, it would feel like your parents just snatched your phone away and started scrolling through your text messages. It would feel like your husband got a recording of your conversation with your three best friends at dinner last night. Because what would be dawning on you in that moment as you stood there with your mouth open would be this. Jesus has been watching me. And he knows everything I've been thinking. Everything I've been saying. Everything I've been doing. There are no secrets that you can keep from Jesus. He knows every question, every bit of confusion, every doubt, every suspicion, every fear, every delight of your heart, every little thing about you. And here's what I'm saying. In that moment of this story, Thomas was completely exposed. But look, he didn't try to explain his doubts away. But I was busy last week when you showed up. It's not my fault. I mean, he didn't try to pin it on someone else. Who who ratted me out to Jesus? He got real before Jesus because he had no other option before Jesus. He realized that no matter what he said or thought or did, Jesus knew him inside and out to the very bottom of his soul. And the only course of sanity before Jesus was to get real. Yep, that's me. I demanded all of those things, Jesus. 
I didn't believe. I wouldn't believe. I refused to believe. And by the way, I didn't just doubt what my friend said. Jesus, I doubted everything you said. Because Jesus made plenty of references to the fact that he would rise again from the dead. Jesus, deep down in the depths of my soul, I question everything about you. Now, what if this community in the first point that we were talking about was built on the foundation, as Brennan Manning put it, that it's okay that you aren't okay? Because truthfully, that's all we have in this room this morning. A bunch of people who are not okay needing Jesus to make it okay that we aren't okay. I'm going to get there more in the next point, but I hope you're already getting a taste of it. Thomas got exposed, but it was safe for him to get exposed before Jesus. It was safe to get real before Jesus. It was okay to not be okay. Author Gordon MacDonald, he wrote about a time in his life when he spent investigating Alcoholics Anonymous by regularly attending an open AA meeting. And uh, he came away with some great stories and insights. But one thing, as he wrote about it, um, he, he kept coming back to this question. And that question was, what if the church could exhibit and practice grace like this? McDonald wrote, I often left AA meetings deeply moved, sometimes in tears. I left feeling I'd been with people who were dealing with soul-level issues. For them, this hour was about life and death. Something in my soul resonated with the honesty of the group. There was not an ounce of judgment in the circle. Just openness. Everything was on the table. What if the church was a place like that? He shared this story from one of his, the meetings he attended. He said, one morning, Kathy... I guessed her at age 35, joined us for the first time. And one look at her face caused me to conclude that she must have been Hollywood beautiful at 21. Now, her face swollen, her eyes red, her teeth rotting, her hair looked unwashed, uncombed for who knows how long. I've been in five states in the past months, she said. I've slept under bridges on several nights. Been arrested, raped, robbed, now weeping. I don't know what to do. I don't want to be homeless anymore. And through her sobs, she said, but I can't stop drinking. I can't. I can't. Next to Kathy, McDonald writes, was a rather large woman, Marilyn, sober for more than a dozen years. She reached with both arms toward Kathy And pulled her close, so close that Kathy's face was pressed to Marilyn's ample breast. And I was close enough to hear Marilyn speak quietly into Kathy's ear. Honey, you're going to be okay. You're with us now. We can deal with this together. All you have to do is keep coming. Hear me keep on coming. And then Marilyn kissed the top of Kathy's head. Again, throughout the article, McDonald keeps asking this question. What if the church could exhibit and practice grace like that? 
And I'm not trying to make any arguments for or against AA or anything like that. That's not the point. I'm asking what McDonald was asking. What would it be like if we were like that? If the church was like that? What if South Baton Rouge could more and more become a place where the broken, the disillusioned, the hurt, the doubting, the angry would clearly hear, you're going to be okay. Because you're with us now. And we can deal with this together. What if we work together to make this a place where it was safe for anyone and everyone to get real? Because it's okay that you're not okay. A place where pretense and pretending were more and more fading away. And there was real space and freedom for all of us to get real before Jesus. If that was the case, if that was the kind of community we were, you would expect to see incredible and real transformation. Because you have to get real before Jesus in order to be able to believe this incredible news that it's okay that you're not okay. To do that more and more, to more and more become that kind of community, I know that that's scary and that's risky to be vulnerable like that. But let me just end this point by asking this what do you have to lose? I mean, if Jesus already knows you inside and out to the very bottom of your soul, he knows everything you've been thinking and doing and saying, and he couldn't be surprised ever by your sin and brokenness, and he welcomes you in by his grace, then what do we have to lose? Nothing at all. To become a great believer like like Thomas, you have to get real. All right, last thing, last thing. John shows us about how to believe like Thomas is that you have to submit. As soon as Jesus had exposed Thomas, Thomas' response to Jesus was full and complete submission. Verse 28, Thomas answered, answered Jesus, my Lord and my God. Now, did you catch what happened? Or better yet, what didn't happen? I mean, Jesus had said, I, I know what you were thinking. Here, go ahead and put your finger in these nail prints and put your hand into my side. I mean, this is the thing that Thomas said he would have to do if he would ever believe. And then he didn't do it. And I think the reason Thomas didn't do it is in his confession. He said, my Lord, my God, In other words, Thomas had placed conditions upon God for his belief. I'll believe you if. And you don't give God conditions. That's one thing the Bible makes very, very clear. But you know what? We do it all the time, don't we? Jesus, I'll believe you if you just get me out of this mess. Jesus, I'll follow you. As long as following you doesn't interfere with my goals and my plans. Jesus, I'll obey you if you will give my family security. Help me get ahead, improve my reputation. We want to use Jesus so often to climb up on his shoulders 
to reach the real desires of our hearts, the things we're really worshiping. Deep down, we're often saying, if, if I could just get that, if Jesus would just fix that, if Jesus would just make this go away, then I would believe, then I would have life, then I could rest. And here's why Thomas is an example of a great believer. He dropped all of his conditions at Jesus' feet. He took his hands off of his life and he submitted to Jesus. And he said, Jesus, you're not here to do my bidding. You are Lord and God, King of kings, master of the universe. And so he let go of his conditions so that he could grab hold of and submit to Jesus and him alone. But still, I think something's missing here because all of that's true. You've got to show up. You've got to get real. You have to drop all your conditions at Jesus' feet and submit. But that is a terrifying prospect. And it will stay a terrifying prospect for all of us until Jesus becomes beautiful to you personally. Listen again to Thomas' confession. He said, My Lord... My God. What Thomas saw standing in front of him in that room was not just a a theological or doctrinal truth that Jesus is divine, that he's Lord, that he's God. What Thomas came to grasp when he showed up with his friends and he got real was something very, very personal. He was looking at a wounded God. A God who had been pierced. A God who, is, who had spilled his blood until his heart stopped beating for him. I mean, that little pronoun, my, it changes everything. My Lord, my God, so loved me that he himself came to die for me. Martin Luther once wrote, Be careful to learn this definition, and especially this pronoun. Believe this one syllable, and it will swallow up all your sins. That is, you may know for certain that Christ has taken away not just other people's sins, but yours. When you can apply the personal pronoun to Jesus, my Lord, my God, then the real ultimate beauty will break upon you and you will find the real freedom that there is in submitting to Jesus. Freedom to show up in community. Freedom to get real. Freedom to drop all of your conditions. One of my all-time favorite quotes comes from John Stott in a book he wrote called The Cross of Christ. And he wrote this. I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain... How could one worship a God who is immune to it? That lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross, nails through hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry and intolerably thirsty, plunged into God-forsaken darkness. And Stott writes, That is the God for me. He laid aside his immunity to pain. He entered our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. He suffered 
for us. Friends, that's what Thomas saw when he saw the resurrected Jesus. He showed up and he got real and he fell before a God who so loved him that he came to remove this thing of death in his own death. A God who removed the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us and in our place. He saw a God who laid aside his immunity to pain and was wounded for us personally and really. And you know what the resurrection is? The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is your receipt. It's your receipt that says your debt has been paid in full and death has been swallowed up in victory. The resurrected Jesus appeared in that room behind locked doors, looked at his disciples and said to them what? Peace be with you. It's okay that you aren't okay because I died for you And I rose from the dead for you. And death has been swallowed up in victory. And you are free. And that truth, not abstract, but real and personal, when its beauty captures your heart, it will change you. It will fill you with awe and wonder, and it will turn you into a worshiper of Jesus, like Thomas. So will you believe like Thomas? And if you don't, Will you come back like Thomas did a week later and learn what it means to show up and learn what it means to get real and learn what it means to submit to, to, submit to the King of Kings who is your King of Kings, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we give you praise and thanks for this good news and we thank you for John who wrote this gospel account and for his including this story about Thomas for us so that we might see what it means to believe and how we are to go on believing and how you call us to show up in community, how you call us to Get real and know that we cannot hide from you. But you know every thought, every motive, every word we've said. And you love us anyway because of what Jesus has done for us. Father, I pray that you would work this word deep into our hearts. That we would see the beauty of Jesus for us personally, in order that we would fall at his feet and drop all of our conditions and come as we are. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.